Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is CM Alexander with the news. The Maine Fire Protection Services Commission has released their monthly safety report. They encourage all home and business owners to evaluate their current fire safety plans, including plans for wildfires, lightning strikes, spontaneous human combustion, and matches. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King book club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Kahn, alongside CM Alexander. Hello, everyone. And Benjamin Graham. Hey, constant readers. And today we are covering the first half of Firestarter. Spoilers for the book ahead, and we have Ben leading our discussion. Take it away, Ben. Coming into this book, I'm the only one that has read this, correct? Correct. Correct. I remember this book being action-packed. And it's not, (laughs) but I posit that it's better than that because it is extremely tense. Would you guys agree? The look on Josh's face says no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no. I did really? not. Really? I did not. F- There's a lot of, uh, this book does a lot of creating tension and immediately destroying it. Hmm. I feel. How so? Uh, we'll, we'll get into some examples of it later. But one of the first things right off the top that I'll point out is one of like the, the things that we find out. We find out that a- Andy and Charlie are on the run. Our main characters, Our main characters. Andy and Charlie McGee. And we find out that uh, Vicky, who is uh, his wife and Charlie's mom, we we know that she's dead. And then we know that these people have captured Charlie before. But now we know all those things. I thought the idea of them being on the run and because the first time they mention Vicky, mm. but they don't mention she's dead. So I'm like, oh, my God, it's the two of them on the run where like they're separated from this person. Next sentence. Oh, she, she did. All right. Well, they need to keep Charlie out of these guys' hands. Oh, they've already got her? Okay. All right. Um, next. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. And there's there's one, a major one later that I don't want to jump ahead to, but it involves the uh, the cabin. Okay. Uh, what, do you, what do you think, CM? I thought that the way the characters are presented was interesting because you get these more actiony pieces like Josh said mm-hmm. and then it pulls back and you're kind of getting a history of what's been going on so for me as I was reading it I felt like I couldn't really get a clear sense of who Andy and Charlie were who the shop was and who Vicky was but not in a bad way more mm-hmm. of a um you know it's building a good mystery I hope I'm only halfway through the book so <laughs> okay the all very interesting points. First of all, I want to say, Josh, you're wrong. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's fine. Okay. I can be wrong. Let's get into the story. All because right. I, I think that immediately I, I could feel myself tensing up. Immediately. We start the book with uh, Charlie, this, I, I don't know, 30-some-year-old man. Andy. Uh, Andy's the man. Yes, of course he is. <laughs> it begins! Uh, been a couple months since I forgot the name of the main characters of the book. Andy, I literally almost called him Charlie again. Uh, Andy is 30-some-year-old man and a small eight-year-old girl named yep. Charlie 
running down the streets of New York, pursued by this green car. Green is very conspicuous a color. <laughs> it is, and that's almost, it's, it's creepier. They're not trying to hide. Mm-hmm. These people that are chasing them are just doing it out in the open. And we find out that they have been basically fleeing on foot through New York City. They have no money. They have nothing but the clothes on their backs for five hours. Five hours ago, Andy dis- uh, discovered his bank account had been drained. And he immediately picked up Charlie from school and just ran. That's scary. I, uh, allow, allow me to slightly amend my opinion. Okay. This beginning starts off great. Once we get to the airport, then it's uh, it loses all tension for me once we're at the airport. Okay. Because uh, this part is great because we find out uh, Andy's power, Andy's ability to push so he can mm-hmm. force a thought into your head. And we meet the kid's twinner. Excuse me? The cabbie. Oh, yeah. The cabbie, he when they get in, the he says, phrase. he says, don't yes. tell me, I tell you. Uh, the, we meet the kid's twinner. Uh, I did not. I did write down. I, I think I wrote down. Don't tell me, I'll tell you. The cabbie. Whose catchphrase is this? That's uh, the kid. Yeah. He sucks. Um, <laughs> that was crazy, though, hearing about uh Andy's power, the push, because he also alludes that he has to be really careful, not just for his own health, but that if mm-hmm. he doesn't push in the right way or he doesn't like if he pushes too hard or he's not careful about what kind of thought he puts in there, that this guy could go crazy is what I s- assumed he was talking. OK, about. yes, he uh, let's put the story aside for a second and talk about, I think, my favorite part of this book which is the world building. The world building in this book, especially immediately in this first chapter, is so compelling because they throw out, they do that that typical like sci-fi fantasy book thing of just throwing out a bunch of like jargon that they don't explain. He says uh, he he doesn't have very much of the push left. And you're like, well, what is that? I really want to know. Yeah. <laughs> and uh he says he he pushes this uh this cabbie. He jumps into a ca- uh a cab and he pushes him. What the push is is basically the Jedi mind trick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh and hands down the coolest superpower possible, but he he says he does it lightly because he doesn't want to cause an echo. And it doesn't it j- all it gives you is that an echo is bad. It's irreparably bad. And all of this stuff, I'm like, this is fascinating. I Maybe it's the, the sci-fi nerd in me that I'm like, it's a, it's a superhero book. Dude, that, it's great. That power is amazing. Here's the thing, though. Mm-hmm. Does he really push the cabbie or does okay. he push a dollar bill? Okay, we'll get into okay, this. That's- you better fucking believe. <laughs> I, I love this book. Uh, I love the fact that it's basically an X-Men novel. Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. It's so cool. We'll get into the specifics <laughs> of Andy's power. But uh, I, I just thought that the world building, it puts you in this, the, this uh, world where... There's an evil entity called the shop after these people. And that literally so everyone cool. in the world knows about. <laughs> and that is my main problem with this. The shop, 
the secret government organization. Oh, the guy at the airport knows about. Okay. Okay. He works in security. He can know about the shop. Uh, a couple uh, chapters later, the shop is in Rolling Stone magazine. There is a specific reference to an article about the secret agency. Okay. In Rolling Stone magazine. The shop is. Okay. Yes. That's hysterical. But the shop isn't a secret clandestine. It's not like the fucking Illuminati. It's a government agency. It has the dumbest name in the yes. world. Do you have that? I do. It's actually called. It's a Department of Scientific Intelligence. Yes. Which is not an acronym for shop. And that really bothered me. <laughs> but we do know that, you know, in this world that they're building, things are going to go south at some point because everybody's going to get the super flu and die. And these, um, monsters from another world are going to break through what? this gateway what are you and talking uh, about? some aliens oh because the shop is related to the stand the mist and the tommy knockers really what are they name dropped in the stand or is it just hinted at because i don't remember reading the shop no i don't remember hearing that name they are i believe it is hinted at in most cases i want to say it's more explicit in the stand or maybe it's the mist. Um, mm. They were suspected to be involved in the Arrowhead project from the mist. Okay, that makes sense. And then they investigated an incident in Tommyknockers. And I haven't read Tommyknockers, so I'm not clear how explicit it was. It's been years. And then they they are mentioned in the stand because they were supposed to stop the super flu and failed. It, it all that all tracks 100 percent because the shop they're not this like actual secret organization they're like the cia everyone knows they exist but all of the shit they do is straight up fucking evil yeah they, they fuck it up a lot <laughs> yeah. like the cia they're also <laughs> bad at their fucking job but um anyway i found that the world building drew me in pretty instantly let's move on with the story because uh uh they're they're on the run and andy jumps in a cab and pushes the driver, handing him a $1 bill and saying, this is $500. Take me from New York to Albany. And the guy looks at it and sees $500 and says, I'm on it. And they drive off. I started the book keeping count of how many times Andy pushed. And then um, when it wasn't that many, I stopped. <laughs> <laughs> because the other thing we need to talk about with Andy's power is... Something super cool that superhero stories don't do enough of. It comes with a downside. He had he's not just a superhero, he's vulnerable. Every time Andy pushes his brain, something happens in his brain where he gets debilitating headaches and is pretty much down for the count. This is my favorite literary device that is used in this story because the reason the reason we get the the flashbacks it's it's dropped in like one random line that Andy basically says when he when the pain gets so bad as a self-preservation as a self-defense his brain takes him back to a place when it didn't hurt Mm -hmm. So when we get all these flashbacks, mm -hmm. it's we are experiencing them as he is remembering events, which I thought was really cool. Should we talk about the experiment? Uh, yes, uh, we definitely should, because as they get into this 
this cab, his brain, he, he has to lay down and basically passes out from the pain and immediately flashes back to meeting Vicky at the Lot 6 experiment. This is really cool because it reminded me of so many awesome horror movies. Lot 6 was something that the university was doing and they were paying college students, I think it was $200, to participate in this experimental drug program. And so they set them up in this classroom and they had cots and they it was like a blind control. So no one, not even the researchers, were supposed to know who received the actual drug and who got the uh, saline solution. And this, I, I don't know, I thought it was awesome because they get the drugs and they're laying there and then all of a sudden, just as casual as can be, crazy shit starts happening. Things go wrong fast. Oh, yeah. But they're so fucked up on this weird psychedelic drug that they've <laughs> been taking that they're like, yep, this all seems fine. And then, <laughs> And when what's crazy is that when they're reflecting on what happened, they are not like so you're getting the flashback of when they're doing it mm -hmm. and things aren't quite right. It's not being presented to us or remembered in the flashback the way that it happened. And then you kind of find out in little bits and pieces throughout the story later that other things happened that mm -hmm. they don't remember. We we see or Andy sees uh, a guy in a bed across from him gouge his own eyes out yeah. and as he's hardcore. beset by all of these orderlies he sticks his hand up like a dying man and slaps a uh, a poster of uh, a cross section of the brain and it rolls up uh in this you know one of those pull down things like yeah. you have in school <laughs> he is approached by an orderly who's asking him these questions and suddenly he knows the guy's name. That was because it, ha it happens so like subtly where he's just looking at the guy and he's like, oh, Ralph, like he just knows the guy. And it doesn't <laughs> occur to him that he didn't know this guy's name before. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He, it's not just his name. He knows, though. Yep. He knows that uh, that he killed three men and one room a woman who he raped after she was dead. And he's like, oh, I need to stop talking to this guy. <laughs> And yeah. remind me, was, so are these people, like Ralph, for example, was he one of the original people who were there? Or does he disappear no, right after? because after they, after him and Vicky, who are in beds right next to each other, having telepathic conversations with each other. That's how they fall in love. Uh, yeah. <laughs> which is a meet cute and a half, I gotta say. Right. <laughs> yeah, after they wake up, uh, this other just college student comes over and interviews him, and he's like, what happened to Ralph? And they're like, there's no Ralph. Everything's fine. You've been hallucinating for 48 hours straight. 48 it's hours. Fine. In my notes, I wrote down 48 hours. Once again, what a dumb experiment. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, it's kind of a dumb experiment. What were they hoping to accomplish here? Powers, I guess. I mean, they kind of succeeded. Th uh, they did. Lot six is the closest they've come to succeeding. It's just that they put... 12 college students in a room and just let them trip out and like throw no, stuff around with their brains. No informed consent. Yeah. Andy's having these flashbacks and when he wakes up, him and Charlie have made it to Albany and they get out at this, uh, this small airport and go inside. Andy's fucked. Yeah. Like, he's he, done. 
can't function pretty much. And they know that these people that are chasing them are still, they could be right behind them. They could be anywhere. And they have this conversation that I really loved because he pulls Charlie aside and he says, I need you to get us money. We, we need money to, to get away from here. And Charlie, who's this little girl, says, I can't, that's stealing. And Andy says, there's a difference and she says, oh, like you like the little bad and the big bad, she mm-hmm. calls it. And this informs the rest of the book. Because when we first started talking about the, the book, CM, you said something really interesting to me. And that's that you couldn't connect to Charlie and Andy and who they were. Mm-hmm. I think that says a lot about the situation they're in. Because the book is all about the bad things we have to do to survive when we are in a situation that is really life or death. You're right. Charlie and Andy, they we they're, get a sense of them. They're elusive in they, a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. And they're they aren't they don't have strong characteristics because they can't. No, they're just they are in survival mode. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And they're they're just they're rabbits. They're rabbits running scared, and they don't have time to be, here. here is who I am as a person, because they're basically not people. It's a bold choice because it does create that disconnect between the reader and the characters, because you don't get that buildup. You don't feel like you can connect with them or understand them or really know what they're going through beyond what mm. you're seeing on the page. So then you kind of have to rely on the world itself. That has to be intriguing and interesting enough to keep us reading i feel like you have to read it at a panicked pace to keep up with that that emotional speed that they Mm. want you to have i i also do think we do get maybe not them as individuals but i love the relationship oh my yes charlie and andy you guys i am a huge sucker for a sappy dad and daughter story (laughs) absolutely i i can't take i can't take it sad dad daughter stuff i will cry like a baby (laughs) yeah there there are so many moments that their relationship you get glimpses of things that inform who they are Mm -hmm. and so you do i mean you do feel like you have an idea of who they are. It's just, I brought that up because it's so different from King's usual approach and style to character building, which is, mm-hmm. I mean, even our characters that are with us for two pages, it's just them for two pages right. and then we never see them again. So for him to keep us in this state of uncertainty with them was very interesting. Anyway, so they are, they're at this airport. Andy convinces her, you have to, you're going to have to steal. And so she goes to the payphones and we learn uh, Charlie's powers. She is telekine- uh, telekinetic because she is able to push the payphones and the coins spill out of them. But much more importantly, she is able to just fucking murk a dude's shoes. <laughs> he had that coming. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I love that an eight-year-old girl could recognize what a creep and what a douchebag that this guy was. Yeah, She just overhears, so they're in the payphones, and she overhears his conversation as she's trying to get this money, and he's talking to a woman on the other end of the line, and he's just being a 
Dick. And she's only eight years old, but she knows that he's not being kind to this woman. And not intentionally, but she just this this emotion comes out of her like a heat wave, targets this guy, lights his shoes on fire. He has to run into the restroom and dunk his feet. Yeah, into he runs the into the women's restroom yeah. and jumps in a toilet <laughs> where he fucking belongs. That's great. But she she runs back to Andy with the coins and they decide to go hitchhiking. And we should mention too, she feels real yeah, horrible she feels about, about setting about that guy on fire. Charlie, we get this more once they arrive uh, at the hotel. The amount of shame that Charlie feels about her powers is heartbreaking. If only there were some sort of school for gifted youngsters <laughs> that she could go to. Some maybe a kindly old bald man could teach her a thing or two. See this, and this is another major problem that I end up having with this book is that this story in some essence is a story about how denying part of yourself destroys other things because if they had, instead of teaching her repression had taught her control, so many of these terrible things wouldn't happen. Okay. So they, they get this money and they decide that they have to hitchhike. This is another case where, I, I was on the edge of my seat because as they are walking out the door, we find out the green car shows up 15 minutes later. The shop is constantly like one step behind. And every time that they did that, and they do it a lot in this first part, <laughs> I go, Duh! oh no. They they show up. Uh, one of the guys at the airport mentions that a guy caught on fire and gets the entire airport drugged and detained. Yeah. <laughs> which I thought was a great, like, these guys are bad guys because they will arrest an entire airport. <laughs> and they they find out that these agents. Yeah, we find out our three agents, Norville Bates, John Mayo, and Orville Jameson, or OJ, are our uh, intrepid agents on the case. Norville and Orville. <laughs> King, you're better than this. <laughs> they are uh they they show up and they're immediately like they're on foot and start heading towards where we know the the two of them are going. But luckily they catch a ride with a nice guy and with a wizard on his van. Yep. I love him. <laughs> yeah, it's great. But now we get to find out more about the shop. We get to we get to meet Cap. The last thing we learn before we get to learn more about the shop is that the three agents that are chasing Andy and Charlie, two of them were actually at the Lot 6 experiment. And we learned that of the 12 that got Lot 6, almost all of them are dead. Yep. The day of the experiment, two of them died and two went insane within a day. Yeah. And then didn't someone commit suicide years after that? The, nearly all the rest of them have killed themselves. Yes. I think there are only like four yeah, of the 12 still alive. Um, and one of them is locked up because he has the power to open doors and bend keys. That's right, yeah. And he's, they have him locked up doing tests on him. Okay, after we, we get them to safety and then we jump to Longmont, Virginia, where the shop is. And we meet Cap, 
Uh, real quick, what are your guys' first impressions on Cap when we first meet him? I wrote, Cap rides a bike and is old and friendly and probably a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's almost exactly what I wrote. <laughs> That's how I felt about him. Yeah. I, I was like, they're setting him up to not be so bad, so I bet he's going to be the devil. Mm-hmm. Uh, they really do. They like, he's such a, just a kindly old guy. Friendly to his receptionist. And, and the shop's base of operations is so idyllic. And it's just this old, like, barn house in the middle of a bright green field. Yeah. They have horses and stuff. It looks great. great. It looks picturesque. So, uh, Cap is going through his files. He's going through the uh, McGee file for the millionth time because he knows that they were close to intercepting them. And his uh, his secretary calls and says that uh, uh, Dr. Wanless is there and wants to see him. And he's like, ah, oh, son of a bitch. He's so upset because Wanless, in this time since the experiment to now, has had a stroke and he's mostly, he's obsessed with Lot 6 but he's mostly just a nuisance. And so he pushes this meeting. He tries to do everything he can to not have this meeting, but we get this meeting. But before that, he basically talks to everybody he needs to talk to, and they have their sophisticated computer run the numbers and say, there's a one in four chance Andy pushed himself past his limit and he's dead. They also have the $500 bill in their possession, which they can see. Okay, okay, okay. We have to spend 15 minutes on this because this drives me. Okay, I really like this book. I, I really, really love this book. This is the dumbest fucking shit I've ever read. It is, it breaks all the, I hate when sci-fi breaks its own rules. Yes. Does it though? Yes, it does. Because okay. the psychic okay, what, ability is what? only on the kid. But what is the psychic ability? Okay. What is it? Uh, is it a like a, a way? You know, you think like microwaves. Mm-hmm. Is it the the way I see it that it makes sense? Is yeah, it is a telekinetic blast into the other person's brain. It is making them think that something is different than what it is. Making them think what you want them to think. But Cap is having this meeting, and he pulls out. Or no, it's Albert Steinowitz yep. uh, pulls it out, who is the a- the shop's best agent. He uh, is described, reminds me a lot of the lead hunter from The Running Man. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Uh, he's just this like small man who's very serious and mm-hmm. scary. Uh, and he pulls out a baggie with this bill in it and he sets it down and Cap looks at it and sees... A magic hologram. Uh, Yeah, it like ripples and he sees it as a $500 bill and not just a $500 bill, but a wrong $500 bill because Andy, I guess. Didn't know what a $500 bill looked like. And it's like Ben Franklin with glasses on. And (laughs) it it makes it seem like Andy has changed the properties of the bill. That's dumb as hell. Okay, I disagree. I don't think that he changed the properties of the bill. The bill is fine. I think that he is so powerful that there is residue or what he calls echoes, which is why he has to be careful about the echoes, that are not contained inside someone's head only. And I think that those echoes or that residue 
infects the things or the people that he's trying to push. So because the cabbie believed that it was a $500 bill, that kind of rubbed off on anyone who touched it or saw it or spoke with the cabbie. I hate it. That's but that's because <laughs> that's not. That's, I mean, it makes it's, two things. One, we have moments where his push affects how people react to inanimate objects later, which we'll get to. That one makes more sense to me. It definitely does. But that he didn't do something to the object. Mm-hmm. He did something to his brain about the object like he's doing here. Two, based on what we've seen Andy do with his push, pushing so hard that he could leave that amount of residue or ripple on it, this this inanimate object for this long would have exploded his brain. Oh, I think that's why he almost dies in the hotel. I think he almost dies because he's like used it five times that day on that run. Like he talks about being almost, but he should have been out. Didn't he say that he pushed the cabbie like really hard, harder than he usually pushes? Maybe, yeah. It's just, it doesn't... I'm just trying to give you guys an out that makes more sense than what happens <laughs> that, in the book. It's a very, very valiant effort, CM, and I appreciate it. But no, I don't buy it. It's dumb. I I, I agree with Josh. It's very stupid. Yeah. And my biggest fault with this entire fucking book. And I remember reading this in high school and getting to that part and literally being like, so mad. Being like, that's... <laughs> just open your sci-fi hearts but we we move on past this we get our meeting with dr wanless that is just it it's a lot of pages of i don't know if it's psychobabble is a lot mm. of what that is uh there is a great quote though in this section the results of lot six quote like dropping a jet engine into an old Ford. It went like hell, all right, until it hit the first obstacle. Love that. <laughs> that is great. I also was really struck by the comment that he made about Charlie, where he was, he's trying to make this case to just eliminate them. Like, yeah. don't try to mm-hmm. capture her. Don't try to experiment on her. Get rid of her. Because he thinks that she has the ability, she is so powerful that she could literally destroy the Earth. Another uh, reason, this is 100% Stephen King's second X-Men book. Yes. Because Wanless is saying she's so powerful now. She is eight years old. But in all of these reports, they say the the reason this works is it's somehow tied to the pituitary or the hypothalamus. And she is the the only... So... Andy and Vicky, we should mention, are the only two from the experiment that got married and had a baby. So Mm -hmm. she has parents who both have abilities. So they're so interested in her because she is like this offshoot experiment of us. They literally say that she Mm -hmm. might be a mutant. Yeah. Like, literally. But uh, they say that she's so powerful now. And these powers, they come from the pituitary or hypothalamus or whatever. And... That that gland is also the gland that's responsible responsible for puberty. Yep, it's the, the time same that X Men women can't be president argument because they'll be on their <laughs> period. No, it's the, it's the X Men <laughs> argument. Except it's it's the X Men gain their powers at puberty. Yeah, so her powers are going to go insane mm-hmm. when she's already crazy now. Yeah, so they'll become like like a shadow exploded. Get okay. it? Get yes. it? Why Guys, don't they mention 
I'm Why sorry. Do- that drove me nuts. They, they, t- they talk about all of this research of all of this proven psychic phenomenon. Not one time is Shadow Exploded ever referenced. It would. It's, it's the easiest it's, connection in the world. That is directly in front of your face. Why is there no mention of... like Andy read his daughter things about people with psychic powers. How is a real-life example <laughs> of a teenager blowing up her town not on his list another book that is afraid of girls getting their periods. <laughs> you know who else is afraid of periods the next character we meet rainbird what i don't have any information to back that up i just thought it was a dynamite segue. what the fuck are you talking about oh, i want to talk about that's, rainbird because rainbird is the next so character we meet. make up stuff about him <laughs> That was so forced. Thank you. <laughs> it's, I saw an opening and I took it. Did you guys notice that Rainbird's wearing a blue chambray shirt? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Did you Obviously. notice that, that Rainbird is seven foot tall and has the power to be dim? It's Oh, Ooh. shit. Did you notice that Rainbird is <laughs> my favorite uh, Stephen King villain that we've gotten so far? He is I'm saying rad. that we've read Flag twice. Yeah. And I'm saying Rainbird is the fucking coolest scariest dude we have met can i share the notes i made about him They're yes quick. absolutely he is at peace with everything except for his shoe collection he knows everything and he is fascinated by death he's cool <laughs> <laughs> he's pretty rad cap sends for a- after wanless is left after steinowitz steinowitz has left he calls for rainbird and he's scared of this fucking guy. Before we know anything about him, he's like, I don't want to be in the same room as this guy, but I need to talk to him. Cap is thinking about Rainbird and how he doesn't like him, and he thinks back to something Steinowitz told him once, quote, he's the only human being I ever met who doesn't push air in front of him when he walks. Yeah! That is creepy that as hell. Is so fucking cool. And when he comes in, Cap is looking down at his desk and he doesn't hear him enter the room. He just looks up and he's standing there. He is seven feet tall. He has one eye. He speaks four languages and understands three more. And he speaks with a low and civilized voice. I love him. That's in my notes. <laughs> yeah, he he is definitely a character that... And he's so terrifying because... With the exception of if he's arguably can has found a way to be dim, <laughs> he is just a dude. Like, he's a real person. Do you know who he, I could not help but see in my head that every time I, I read him? He's Anton Chigurh from No Country for Old Men, played by James, uh, Javier Bardem. Oh. If they were to remake this movie, he's the only perfect. choice. Because he is the same kind of just neutral evil he's just the blank emptiness of death like he doesn't care he doesn't care about anything he doesn't care about the shop he has no allegiance to the shop he's just like i'm here because i'm good at killing uh he has a quote quote i look at my new wristwatch in the dark of night it tells me i am closer to my death second by second that is good news. Goosebumps. Awesome. <laughs> Goosebumps. Hardcore. Uh, anyway, he's he just tells uh, Rainbird that he has a job for him, and Rainbird goes away. 
and Cap daydreams and thinks, wouldn't it be great if we could capture Andy and use his powers to kill Americans that we disagree with? Yeah. Fuck this guy. Isn't Rainbird's, Rainbird's job is to kill Wanless. We don't find that out until later when okay. he's just uh, sitting in a hotel room. The next time just, we see Rainbird, yeah. he is sitting perfectly still on a hotel bed. And it says he is waiting for uh, evening. And then he is waiting for dark. And then he is waiting for night. And then he is waiting for it to get later. And then he walks up to Wanless's room, sits on his chest, just holds his mouth and nose closed and stares into his eyes to watch the life drain out of his eyes. What is super creepy about that is he he holds his nose and mouth closed so that he wakes up and he's struggling and he lets him go. And of course, Wanless knows who he is and he's like, oh shit, I'm dead. And he says, it's okay. I just want to know some stuff. I'm, I'm going to be the best listener you've ever had. Teach me everything you know, and then I'll leave and everything will be fine. And so he tells him basically what he was telling Cap, everything about Charlie and Andy, which piques Rainbird's interest super hard in Charlie, and thank God not in a creepy way, because that kind of, I was worried about that for a minute. And then afterwards, he's like, I'm sorry, and he kills him. Yep. Yep. And I kind of... Because he's a professional, Because he's a professional. It's because he has... is just this, like, at this point, old, pitiful... He's a sad old man. Yeah. And yeah, it it shows Rainbird has no value for life, his own or anyone else's. He's the fucking Terminator. He values death. Rad as hell. (laughs) He's so goddamn scary and great. Anyway, let's cut back to our main characters, Andy and Charlie, who we haven't talked about in half an hour. (laughs) (laughs) They have made it to this hotel or a motel rather and uh andy is just leaving fucking clues everywhere he's bad at hiding he's trying not to though he he does make her hide in the bushes so that no one can say later oh yeah i saw a man and an eight-year-old girl come in it was just a man true but he's also he's also screwed up in his head right now (laughs) yeah it's true but he also does stuff like he says he works for a vending machine company and when the guy behind the desk is like oh cool could you fix my vending machine he's like nah not my (laughs) not my brand (laughs) and just leaves uh because he he pays entirely in change and then he pays entirely in change he doesn't drive a car uh just all kinds of stuff but they they set up and it's the next morning Charlie takes a very sad shower that is very reminiscent of Carrie. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Andy finally wakes up and teaches Charlie the, what we talked about. He says, when things are bad, sometimes you have to do bad things, which is going to follow Charlie around. Yep. It sure does get bad quick. Well, and it, the reason that this is such a huge lesson is because when she was a baby, she would do Things on accident, like set her own hair on fire and accidentally Mm -hmm. set her mom on fire. And so they, you know, Josh, you mentioned earlier, they didn't teach her control. They taught her to, they taught her restraint. Um, They taught her oppression. Well, they taught her (laughs) oppression. Yeah. They were like, this is very, very bad. And and they didn't Mm -hmm. like to do it, but they were worried that if they didn't, she was going to kill someone on accident or kill herself. Yeah. 
So uh, she's it's been ingrained into her not to use this, and now all of a sudden the rules are changing. Yeah, and it's it's heartbreaking. And they um, they start changing it fast because the we find out there are ten shop agents in town, not four miles away. Yeah, and they manage they manage to make it to the road and catch a ride with Irv Manders to go to his farm. It's moments like they miss him by a five minutes. Their their tire blows out, and yeah. one of the agents is walking up a hill. And, like, just crest the hill as he sees Irv Mander's truck drive yeah. away. They play farm for a while, <laughs> which I thought was kind of kind of fun. Here's, okay, here's another thing. I don't want to get too detracted, but this was an opportunity to, I don't know, connect with these characters more in the this small time of peace. Yes, they're still hiding. Mm-hmm. Yes, they're hiding the truth from the Mander's family, which... Eventually, you know, they call him out on it and Andy tells them everything and they don't believe him, of course. But I just I felt like this was a missed opportunity to get to know these characters a little more. It was really fun to watch Charlie get to be a, a kid yeah. for yes. a minute. And that was I great. disagree. I think until we she got- explodes a chicken. <laughs> <laughs> I think this time we got to know Irv Manders well. It was, yeah. it was, was spent an, on the side characters. Irv Manders is such a great king character he's just uh kind of a good old boy but he's kindly and caring and he knew that these two were in trouble but he picked them up he went out of his way and it cost him massively yes let's talk about the incident at mander's farm this this is the action that i remembered yes all right they andy has just told irv mander's all of this information and he doesn't quite believe it Charlie comes in and suddenly she senses that all these cars are on their way down the road. And when she senses them, the entire house heats up. And that's when Irvis go, goes, oh, maybe I was wrong. Okay. <laughs> the and escalation. It's so fast. Especially, so they're coming down the road and Andy tells Charlie, you might have to kill. There's no way out of this for us. So all of this string of cars pull up. Al Steinowitz, the best agent there is, comes out. And I'm uh, anticipating this insane confrontation. The agents start to move in and surround them because they're going to take them alive. And then Charlie lights their hair on fire of the group that's circling. And then she engulfs Al Steinowitz in flames, including his face, (laughs) and then blows up. All of their cars. He, Al Steinwitz is kind of set up as like uh, one of the big bats. Y- yeah. You think he's oh, going to be like, this is the guy that's going to be chasing them. And he dies horribly, horribly. and easily. I like, do love the moment when he, when he makes eye contact with Charlie. He has a moment where he's like, uh-oh, boo, <laughs> in flames. So the, good. And they're, they're shooting at them while this is happening they end up shooting Irv in the arm, and Charlie has unleashed this power that she does not have good control over, and she, chickens are exploding, like you said <laughs> earlier, and everything, the house, everything is catching on fire. That's the title of her of her government document documentation, is Chicken Exploded. We've got the uh, shadow exploded and the chicken exploded. Uh, <laughs> the, the imi- the, this scene, I've never seen the movie. I hope the movie does the uh, scene justice. Because, man, it, so I can cool. picture it so perfectly in my head. And there, 
the lead up to it is my favorite part because the as they're walking outside and as Andy is saying, you might have to do these things. As a child, still as a child, Charlie says, will you still love me? And like instantly tears. Yeah, uh, and I'm like, oh no. And as they're walking outside, Irv says, I'll go get my gun. And Charlie, no longer a child, turns and just says, you don't need your gun. And I'm like, <laughs> Fuck, here it goes. I did, I did not expect. so good. I did not expect this level of chaos at this point in the book. I was just, I was not prepared for it. And it was amazing. Yeah, it was like end of the book. Yes. Style so showdown. good. This is Carrie blowing up her town. Yeah. Could either of you explain why I have a note that says a guy gets bean stabbed? <laughs> One of the guys running, it says he impaled himself in panic oh, through the on neck. a bean stick yes. right through his throat. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> and notes me. All of these people, like the entire cavalry was murdered, except for OJ. OJ managed to slink away and report back to Cat. Loses his dumb fucking named gun in a yeah. field. <laughs> his, his, first of all, he calls himself the Juice, and he calls his gun the Wind Sucker. <laughs> Fuck this guy. I forgot the name. <laughs> fucking idiot. The wind Sucker. I also thought that the scene at the after this happens, you know, Charlie collapses, and she comes to, Irv is bleeding his wife is really unhappy, understandably so. You know, her house is burning down. But he reminds her, chill out, babe. We got insurance. Yeah. <laughs> not a big deal. These people are, like, fighting for their lives. Our thing is does not compare yeah. to that. And he is not mad at all. No. It's so sweet, the scene between him and Charlie. And he gives them a Jeep, guides them to back roads because they've blocked off all the main roads. And he says, get out of here before more people come. And is he the one who tells Charlie, because she says, I'll never do it again. I'll never use my powers mm-hmm. again. And he tells her, don't say things that you might, don't make promises you can't keep, basically. Basically, yeah. So they they get away, and it's very sad because the Banderses are 100% going to get sanctioned. Our protagonists, they get away, and they go to Granther's cabin. Granther. Granther, sorry. Yeah. I Sorry, it doesn't matter. I hate that name. Okay. Granther McGee. It's, yeah, it yeah. sucks. Yeah. It sucks almost as much as this plan. <laughs> the, can, the can, sh- I, can I ask you? Yeah. I'm sorry. Okay. I assume you're going to comment on the fact that he's going to a family home. Yes. yes. Which is very traceable. When this book was written, was that not something that the general population was aware of? Maybe that it was the government could not. track yeah. all of your deeds. Right. I'm pretty sure everyone. Well, but I mean, you know what I mean, though? Like reading yeah. it now, we're like, why would you go somewhere where that is linked to you? But maybe, maybe then it I wasn't guess. as. I mean, I think people were a little more naive and trusting then. I, I guess. I guess it makes as much sense as anything. And mm-hmm. also, like, where else? It, it was a matter of going someplace where they can at least be familiar and and weirdly they leave them alone for months for months because they knew about it a week into them being there which is oh i was so mad when i found that out (laughs) i was so mad when it came to this point we have now found out that all in all they uh have actually been on the run not just for the five hours since uh they were on the run in new york but for a full year 
it has been months. It has been 14 months since uh, Andy came home one day to find that the shop had taken Charlie and killed Vicky. And they, this is what is infuriating. They made this move because Charlie uh, was at camp, at summer camp. Mm-hmm. And then instead of coming home, she decided to stay at a friend's house and the shop flipped out and thought and that was they like, were on to them. Yeah. And the child must have her. ran away. Yeah. That's what I mean. When the shop is just a bunch of fucking dinguses, they're bad at their jobs. But they were on the cover of Rolling Stone. Can, can we talk about how Andy realizes that he has to go home? Because that, okay, we're talking about, you know, the dollar bill thing being insane. Mm-hmm. But think about the powers that his wife had, which were just described as, you know, some like mild telekinesis. She could shut refrigerator doors from across the room and not even know she was doing it. So he is at work having lunch and all of a sudden he feels immense pain in his fingers and we find out that that is because she's being tortured. Mm-hmm. That when he finds her, she has had all the fingernails in her hand torn off. <sighs> and her neck was broken by one single hard strike. I wanted to get to know Vicky. I feel like she I could agree. have been a cool character. I, I, I do agree uh, I with that. It is an unfortunate case of that really shitty trope of a woman dying. So dead moms. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So a man can have his adventure or whatever. Right. That sucks. I also think that the scene of Andy rescuing Charlie is one of my favorite things that happens. That is so freaking cool. He comes home, he finds his dead wife. He can't find, well, he calls the house where his daughter is supposed to be staying and is real casual about it. It's not like, oh my God, where is she? Two men took her. And the lady's like, that, that's okay, right? They were your friends. He's like, oh yeah, it's cool. I was just trying to catch him. Gets in his car and is trying to figure out what direction they went. And we get a little more of his power, which is um, similar to Charlie's, you know, when she knew that they were coming down to the farmhouse, some intuition. Yeah, a, a light precognition. Yeah. So he thankfully picks the right way and kind of has like a chase down. He ends up finding them at a rest stop and there are all these people around. And so he has to use the push on not only like everybody who witnesses this, but these guys come out with Charlie and go for it. I just, this scene is (laughs) the reason every, you guys all like, the classic, oh, if you find a genie and you can ask for a superpower. Yeah. Well, obviously the push, because <laughs> what he does is so it's fucking, great. fucking hard ass. He finds these two guys and they're they're bringing Charlie out of uh, a rest stop bathroom. And she asks to get some water and they take her and they both have guns. And he comes at them, not sneaking up. He's just like steps out from behind their van. And this guy puts a gun to Charlie's head, and Andy goes, you're blind. (laughs) Yep. That's all. That's it. And he is blind. That. Forever. He is still blind. So not as good as what he does to the next guy. And this is what we we alluded to earlier. The other thing where the push seems to have an effect on an inanimate object, he tells the other guy, that gun is far too hot to hold. And 
the guy drops the gun and screams and he sees blisters. I don't think it was on the object, though. That one I yeah. can buy. That yeah. one I totally buy because that's psychosomatic. Exactly. Yeah. He also tells him, sleep. And yes! this, the, I, this is one of my favorite parts. This was so cool. We find this out later as um, yeah. Cap is like reviewing. He frequently reviews Charlie mm-hmm. and Andy's files. So any time now, like this guy, the, the blind guy is still blind. This guy that he told to sleep, any time that he hears the word sleep within earshot, he instantly <laughs> falls asleep. That's <laughs> so amazing. It's the best superpower I wish Andy had more chances of just absolutely, if it weren't for the headaches, Andy could fucking one shot Mm -hmm. all of the shop. Well, there's something going on in his brain beyond headaches, too, because he at one point, um, he has all these burst blood vessels in Mm -hmm. his face and his eyes and parts of his face go numb. It's like he's having a stroke. Yeah, he's probably killing himself slowly. Anyway, it's awesome. He gets Charlie back. And that was the beginning of their run. Now it's 14 months later and they've gotten to Granther's and it just now occurs to Andy. I should tell the media. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. After after they've been there from October through March. Yeah. They've been in this cabin for months. And he decides to pull the trigger. He writes six letters that are the entire story, sends two to Ohio Senators, one to the House of Representatives, one to the New York Times, one to the Chicago Tribune, and one to the the Toledo Blade. But you think they're going to get there? Um, nope. <laughs> did you? Okay, I'm so naive sometimes. They, and it's, it's not my fault, though, in this case, because Stephen King does this thing where he builds up a character that's only going to be with us for a couple minutes. And I thought that that's what he was doing with Charles Payson, the shop owner, But he's just like literally a shop employee. He set up this shop in this town that Andy is is, you know, crossing the frozen lake to get to to get supplies occasionally. And he's keeping tabs on him. And so he sees him put the envelopes in the mailbox and then the mailman gets robbed. And that was really upsetting to me, too. (laughs) Yeah. uh, The the part when Charlie Pace pays him, sees Andy mail the letters and then it's him picking up the phone and it says mm-hmm. he calls Virginia for Did you guys see that coming? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, for sure. I, I thought. I mean, no, obviously. I was just like, oh, how's this guy? Does he going to have a catchphrase? How's he going to play this story? <laughs> uh, but yeah, then the, the male guy gets robbed and is very upset by it. I mean, to be fair. Like, he tries to stand up for the male like he should, and but they threaten his life, so... They take the letters. Yeah, just one more thing of the shop being like extrajudicial pieces of shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now that the letters have been found, Cap has them and he's aged noticeably. He's as obsessed as Wanless was and takes a second to be like, boy, I wish Wanless was here. <laughs> Fuck you, asshole. If only something if could have been <laughs> done. And he knows that he's on his way out too because there have been mm. so, especially the farmhouse incident, there have been so many blunders yes. in trying to catch these two. So now he's going to call in the big guns. He he's, refers to it as the shop having a, a cancer of credibility, yeah. which I thought was beautiful. So he's going to send Rainbird after them and he realizes that he, because of what happened, he needs 
Charlie needs to have her dad. He can be used as collateral Mm -hmm. and he can be used to kind of control her so that she doesn't flip out and destroy the whole planet. And so he he calls in Rainbird and tells uh, tells him the mission. And Rainbird says that he'll do it. He's super confident. Yeah. (laughs) On one condition. Mm -hmm. And Cap throws a hissy fit. (laughs) <laughs> That's I made the same note. Like he freaks out about it, this. How dare someone question his authority? Yeah, it makes him seem like a petulant child. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. and makes me weirdly cheer for Rainbird more. <laughs> yeah, it's because a- <laughs> Rainbird is is your Annie Wilkes. He might be. He's <laughs> he's evil. He is, but Absolutely. he's he's not he's not the evil of the shop. The shop is evil because they th- they think they're doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. It's just the right. Th- it's just twisted. And they're that infuriating, intolerable, insufferable evil. And he is yes. just this he- otherworldly something. Yes. And he tells Cap, he's like, yeah, I'll do it. Conditions. That condition is that when they are done with Charlie, he gets her. But not like that. Thank but God. not. Yeah. The- Cap is like. Gross. And he's like, <laughs> like Rainbird, no. Rainbird basically is like the first time he's flapped the Holton book. Yeah. He goes, no, <laughs> come on. Don't be gross. He, I just want to kill her. I just want, because she's special. He thinks he'll learn something about death through Charlie's eyes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Cap asks him, what does he want? And Rainbird just responds, we will be friends. Ugh. Still creepy. Scary. Still very <laughs> creepy. But I mean, his, his plan is... It's pretty solid. He said, just you put me in a position like uh, like an orderly, someone that's super low status, and I will befriend her, and I will manipulate her, and then when it's done, I will betray her right in front of her, and I will watch her eyes as she dies. Cap relents, and the plan is set into motion. He takes what a different you, approach. What did you guys <laughs> expect? Going into this last chapter of this section. I did expect them to get caught because Rainbird is just a different person. And I didn't think that he was going to make the same mistake of a full on frontal assault. Like, hey, here we are. Come with us. And he doesn't. He catches them off guard. He sneaks up on them. He has a team of people of which he is in total control of. Like he's a... A, I don't want to say good, but a, a good manager or good leader. He, he commands respect mm-hmm. and his he knows that his squad listens to him because he doesn't let any of them have guns. He lets Don Jules is the only other agent that's allowed to have a gun because that is one of the things that went crazy mm-hmm. at Manders. Too many people armed and panicked. And so his whole plan is none of these none of you other people should be necessary. I should be able to do this by myself if everything goes as planned. You are here just in case. Mm-hmm. And he almost, arguably, Rainbird could have done this by himself mm-hmm. with the way this plan goes. And he tells him, too, if you breathe wrong, I will I, kill you. I'll fucking kill you because I don't care. It, it's it's tragic, though. It happens because Charlie has been having a premonition that they need to get out. He ignores it for a little too long. And so they are getting ready. They're packing up. And they walk out of the door with their coats and their suitcases and Rainbird is in a tree and uh, who's the other guy? Don Jules. Don Jules is, is waiting nearby and 
they take them out with uh, two shots. Mm-hmm. Two they, shots they, they of shots. Charlie in the neck. Rainbird shoots Charlie in the neck with a dart. In the front of the neck. Like, <sighs> but when Andy grabs her and he's like screaming for like, whoever did this, you come out right now. And John Don Jules just in in his blind fury, Andy never has any clue anybody's behind mm-hmm. him. And he just shoots him in the back of the neck. And, and they're out. The chapter ends with uh, Rainbird and Don walking out and saying, Oh, what was the big deal? Yeah. And uh, we go into the second half of the book uh, captured. Well, then that's it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us for our next episode, part two, where we will be covering the rest of the book. For Benjamin Graham and CM Alexander, I'm Joshua Khan reminding you, life is short and pain is long, and we were all put on this earth to help each other. everyone, Sam Alexander here. Thanks for listening to Firestarter Part 1. I mentioned that the shop was referenced in a few other books, including The Stand, which we've covered previously. It didn't stand out at the time of reading The Stand because I hadn't read Firestarter, but the reference happens on page 31 when Starkey is looking at the guy who died in his bowl of soup. He's thinking about all the mess-ups that allowed Charlie and his family to get as far as they did, and he thinks to himself, police, the FBI, or both of them, and that fabled buck got passed hither, thither, and yon, and by the time someone decided the shop, and that's the shop with a capital S, ought to handle it, this happy asshole had gotten to Texas. The stand takes place in the 80s or 90s, depending on the edition you have, and Andy and Vicky participated in the Lot 6 experiment in the late 60s. So there we go. Let us know if we missed any shop references on social media at Dairy Public Radio, Or send us an email at dairypublicradio at gmail.com. We really love hearing from you guys. Visit our website, constantreaders.org, for everything Stephen King and Stephen King adjacent. We're always looking for submissions, so if you'd like to write short stories, poetry, or reviews, send us what you have. Please rate and review us on iTunes. And before I leave you, just a reminder that our Patreon has a lot of really cool rewards, and we release extra episodes you can only find there. So check that out. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.